Good morning. This morning we're reading from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in 15 and going through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in, Jesus, in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. So Paul wrote this letter, Ephesians, he wrote this letter to the churches around the great city of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey, uh, part of the Roman Empire, became a Roman, uh, a Roman city after, after, um, uh, after you know, Rome uh, was, was the great power at that time in history. Paul wrote this letter to uh, a group of churches that he had helped plant and start and disciple and train up earlier in his life on his second and third missionary journeys. And now he's in prison in Rome and he's writing to this, these churches from prison and he's telling them that he's never stopped praying for them. He remembers them, he's always remembered them and he's still praying for them. And he says specifically, he's praying that God would help them better comprehend just how blessed they are. Do they have any idea how much they are blessed because of what Jesus has done for them. He is praying that they would comprehend that. Like he says in verse 18 of chapter one, he's praying that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Paul was praying that their knowledge and their comprehension and their understanding would increase. That their understanding would increase. So we live in a culture, in a society that for the last few hundred years has been trying to separate reason from faith. As if somebody can't be serious about both. As if someone can't be educated and religious at the same time. So our educational systems, even some of our scientific communities, and definitely our entertainment industry, they try to elevate data and, and information while they minimize and in, in some ways just privatize belief. Okay? Let's all agree on the science, but you keep your faith to yourself. That's kind of been the, the mantra of our society for the last few hundred years. You know, a friend of mine years ago uh, who was, was an atheist, I think, or an agnostic, let's just say he was an atheist, said to me once, you know, Brian, humanity now builds spaceships and powerful microscopes. 
Why should I have any trust in what the Bible says? It was written by a bunch of Bronze Age shepherds who carried sticks around. It's an interesting point. If you're in middle school or if you're in high school, you had better be able to resolve that question. If you're a parent, you had better be able to help your children resolve questions like that because the secular university will have no mercy on them in a few years when they head off. Now that mentality that my friend shared with me, um, it actually overlooks a lot of human history. So much of human advancement has actually taken place through the minds of people of faith. And actually, that mentality uh, was actually ignorant of the Bible itself. The Bible, from cover to cover, has always demanded that faith in God be an expression of both our trust and our intellect. If you actually look at the Bible closely, you discover that Christianity brings reason and faith together. It doesn't keep them separate. Knowledge and belief are required to follow Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about those things today in Ephesians chapter 1, in our passage today. I want to talk about knowledge, and I want to talk about belief, and I want to talk about their unity in Jesus Christ as we follow him. And by the way, my approach today is really inspired by John Stott's commentary on the book of Ephesians. Uh, that's one of the commentaries I'm using. If, if you want advice on what, what to read, if you want to go deeper into Ephesians, just let me know and I'll share all of my resources with you. So, knowledge and reason are necessary for a healthy faith. They actually are. Another friend of mine who is actually a Christian said to me once, remember Brian, theology killed my Jesus. He said that to me as I was getting ready to leave for seminary. Now I disagree with that. I do, though, I did respect his concern uh, based on the Apostle Paul in another one of his letters that knowledge puffs up, right? Information, knowledge, philosophy for its own sake has a way of making us arrogant and proud. And so he was concerned about that. He said, remember, theology killed my Jesus. Uh, what I find funny is he's quite a theology buff now. Anyway, I, you know, I... I want you to see that the same Paul who said to the Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, says here in verse 18 to the Ephesians, I am praying that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Not all knowledge puffs up. The word for knowledge there in the original, in the original Greek Bible, it meant to understand something, to comprehend it, to cognitively grasp an idea, kind of like when you finally say to your math teacher after the fifth time of it being explained to you, now I get it. I almost never said that to my math teacher. Now I get it. When it finally clicks cognitively and you go, ah, I see it. Finally, somebody explained to me in a way that I can understand. That's what Paul is saying. I want you to understand. I want you to grasp the hope to which God has called you. Now he's telling them. Oh, actually, it, remember last week, if you were here last week, the, 
uh, verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1, he, he was trying to say to them, do you have any idea how blessed you are? Do you have any idea how blessed the Christian is? But now he's saying, I am praying that you comprehend just how blessed you are. It's like a part two. You are more blessed than you understand, and now I'm praying that you will understand. Logical comprehension for Paul was part of a healthy Christian diet. Christians must not be religious to the detriment of our reason. God gave us brains, and he wants us to use them. He wants us to exercise them not only in mathematics and finance and gardening and poetry and music lessons, but he wants us to exercise our brains to better understand what God has done for us and what he plans to do for us. From the days of the Israelites, believers in the God of the Bible have always been people of the book. You don't have to enjoy reading but we have to take written language, concepts, understanding seriously so that as Paul says, we may know the hope to which Jesus Christ has called us. And he said to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? So Christians don't check their brain at the door when they decide to follow Jesus. We don't check our brains at the door when we come to worship or when we pray or when we read the Bible. We engage. Knowledge and reason are part of a healthy faith. But our thinking is very imperfect. You know that. Our reason is impaired. All of humanity's reasoning is impaired. Just look at history. We make some amazing advancement, and then we have a cladochismic war or some mass oppression or genocide. It's like we take a step forward and we take two steps back. Our thinking, our intellect, our logic are imperfect because we are imperfect beings. And because we are imperfect and because our knowledge is imperfect, we have to talk about belief as well. Because belief and faith provide what knowledge and reason cannot. Knowledge and reason can inform you, but cannot save you. Knowledge and reason cannot forgive you. Knowledge and reason cannot reconcile us to a holy God. Only God, and I said to, uh, we said last week when we looked at the first half of this chapter, uh, that, that nobody has any business in the church taking credit for anything. It's all God all the time, who works his salvation in us, right? Well, again, only God can take credit for what Paul says in verse 18. He says that they have had the eyes of their hearts enlightened. Isn't that an interesting expression? He tells them that they have had the eyes of their hearts enlightened. Now, the ancient peoples didn't think of the heart as that, you know, that blood-pumping muscle in your chest. The ancients understood the heart as the essential you, who you really are, the seat of your will, what motivates you in life, your emotions, your imagination, the true you, the real you. That is how the ancients understood the heart. 
And so the eyes, thinking about the eyes figuratively also, think of the eyes as a shaft that allows the light of God to penetrate deep into your heart, deep into your soul, letting God's light penetrate into the real you. That's what Paul's talking about here. Um, Actually, Jesus talked about it too in his famous Sermon on the Mount. He said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. You remember that? Paul is essentially saying here that God has torn open the shades in our dark existence. He's torn open the shades so that his light floods in so that we can actually see. And what do we see? Paul says in verse 19, this is what God has enabled us to see in his light, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. There's the word believe. So Paul adds, look, look how Paul's prayer for their knowledge to, to increase is not divorced from belief. He cared about both. The Christian comprehends the truth, yes, and then believes in it. We have to be able to do both. So ask God to help you understand his grace better. Do you understand who God is? Do you understand who you are in relationship to him? Do you comprehend and appreciate, as Avery said to the kids this morning, all that he has done for us and what he plans to do? I hope you're saying yes and no. I want want to know more. I want to understand. I want to appreciate it more. Then ask him. Ask him to help you understand his grace better and to trust in it more. Understanding and trust. Reason and faith. Knowledge and belief. The Christian must not be academic to the detriment of their faith. Paul didn't pray that their intellect would increase. He didn't pray that they would get better grades on their report card. He didn't pray for their academic proficiency. He didn't pray that their street smarts would go deeper. That's always helpful. Solomon, ancient King Solomon, had world-renowned intelligence, didn't he? People came from other societies because he was so intelligent and he was so learned and he was so, from a scientific, from a scientific perspective, advanced and dominant in the world that people came to hear him speak and to learn from what he had discovered about the world. And yet Solomon, for all of that intelligence, still became a foolish man. You can read all about it in First and Second Kings. Paul wasn't just praying for their academic ability. He was praying for their comprehension of who they were because of what God had done for them. You see, because our knowledge is incomplete and fallen and tarnished, we must rely, we must trust in an all-knowing God. We say he is omniscient, he is all-knowing. Why? Because we are not. Do you know that faith and belief actually authenticate you as a creature? I mean, what does it mean to be a creature? It means you're not the creator. We're not a bunch of gods. There's one God. We're not divine. He is. To be a creature is to not know all things. 
It is not wrong or bad to not know all things because we're creatures. And so actually belief and faith humanize you. The less you practice and exercise faith and belief, the less human you actually are. It is dehumanizing to tear knowledge and belief apart. Now, if you're listening and you're skeptical of all of this, and that's okay, I, we, we want those doors to be open to anybody, no matter what they're thinking and what their struggles or objections are. And I'm glad you're here, I'm glad that you're listening or watching. But if you're skeptical of all of this and you're thinking or you have thought, you know, people of faith are backwards, they are narrow-minded, and they are irrational. That's a common stereotype, okay? And Okay. And maybe some of us are. But I would submit to you, friend, if you're thinking that way, that maybe you are the one who is not being as rational as you think you are. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament says that faith is the conviction of things not seen. And that by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. It's interesting that Paul didn't say, by knowledge we understand that the world was created by God. That's very insightful because philosophers have always understood that science can observe something and figure out how it works, but will never be able to tell you who made it and why did they make it. And so Paul says, not by knowledge we believe that the worlds were created by God, but by faith we understand that the universe was created by what? By the word of God. We do not hold whimsical fancies and fantasies about what is unseen. We hold convictions about what our intellect cannot conclude in and of itself. We do not believe that the universe was created by some fairy god, but by a rational, intelligent creator who brought all things into being by what? By his word, or as Paul says in another letter, by the word of his power, the word of God, his rational, logical planning. So wouldn't it make sense that we who plan and design and build and nurture with reason are the offspring of one who planned and designed and created and saves us with reason? Theology killed my Jesus? No, a lack of faith killed Jesus. On all of our part, the Romans and the Jews and me and you, a lack of faith sent Jesus to the cross. And unless you put your trust in him, your lack of faith will destroy you. Knowledge and belief are actually brought together. And you see that nowhere better than in Jesus himself. Knowledge and belief were unified and perfected in Jesus, who theologians call the God-man. Fully God and yet mysteriously fully man. Eternal, but then robed in human flesh in time and space. Even though God's eternal son, who's actually called by John the word, even though the word of God knew all things because he had created 
all things, this is what Hebrews chapter five says about Jesus. In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So as a human being, the eternal son of God, also described as the wisdom of God in the New Testament, Jesus is the word and the wisdom of God. The very intelligence and rational communication of our creator became a human being. And then this is the amazing thing. It said he suffered like we do. The wisdom and knowledge of God suffered and cried out in anguish for the help and the love and the protection and the provision of his heavenly father. Jesus, God as a human being, never acted like he didn't need faith. You think like, well, God doesn't need to have faith in himself. And yet Jesus always relied on his heavenly father, always prayed to his heavenly father, always said, I do nothing outside of what my heavenly father teaches me to do. Showing us what the true human life looks like. When knowledge and faith come together, we see Jesus, who was God and still submitted himself to his heavenly father as a human being. And it says that he learned obedience through what he suffered. You see that? So the son of God, the word of God, the wisdom of God still put his faith in his heavenly father. And we see faith and knowledge come together in Jesus. And so it makes more sense now when we go back to Paul's letter to Ephesians chapter 1, and you look at verses 19 and 20 where he's saying, as I'll mention it again, do you know, I want you to know, I am praying that you understand his power towards us who believe, and he actually says it's the same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The Spirit of God in you is working with the very same power with which he rose Jesus physically from the dead 2,000 years ago. It is the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead that is, in that, that is in work in you, what? So that like you can raise people from the dead? No, so that you can comprehend what you are because of who Jesus is. If God's power raised Jesus from the dead, if that power is in you, my friends, my sisters, and brothers, don't you think he can help you comprehend a bit more just how blessed we are? Don't you think he can help you comprehend his grace better and trust in it even more than you do now? Are you bothered that your knowledge is incomplete? Does it bother you that you're getting older and you can't recall things as quickly as you used to be? Does it bother you that you don't have the GPA that your roommate has? Does it bother you that when people think of you and look at you, they don't quite have the respect for your intellect 
and abilities that they have for other people? Does it just bother you that God hasn't told you why you've had to suffer the way you've had to? Does it bother you that God hasn't revealed everything for you so that you have it all figured out and never worry and never doubt and never complain? Trust in Jesus, the wisdom of God. If your lack of knowledge bothers you, trust in Jesus, the wisdom of God. Are you discouraged that your faith is weak? Like the father whose son was dying said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I want to trust you, but I keep finding that I can't. Are you discouraged that your faith is weak? Trust in Jesus who never doubted our Heavenly Father. Christianity brings reason and faith together. Let us never pursue one while neglecting the other. Christian knowledge comprehends what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Christian faith trusts that Christ is everything we have and all that we need. Let's keep reading Ephesians to understand how Jesus Christ is all that we have and everything we need. Let's pray. Now to you, Father, who is able to do far more abundantly than we all ask or think, According to your power at work in us, to you be all glory in our church through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen.